Welcome back to the Boxing One Podcast. This is episode number 35, and I'm your co-host, John Richards. And I'm here with the co-host, the homie, fresh off a trip to the Bahamas. But it wasn't a vacation. It was a missions trip. He was down there doing the Lord's work, suffering for Jesus on the tropical island. Ain't that right, see, Lass? <laughs> That's where we go start today, huh? I'm just saying, suffering for Jesus on the beach is all good. No, man, but you had a great trip, right? You you were able to minister some to some youth there in the Bahamas, and I'm pretty sure that it was a wonderful experience, right? It was, it was amazing. I got to go with my wife. We got to live with the kids for a week. We got to share the gospel each night with that group of kids. It really was great. It was a, a phenomenal trip. Well, welcome back, sir, and I'm glad to be back on the podcast with you episode 35 you know there's only one person you think of when you think of 35 these days right or even in the history of 35s well it's two you think of but one it's got to be kd right whoa 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 who is the other one because christian okoye i'm a chiefs fan oh that's right christian okoye okay i'll give you that but you know we're, we're we're people of the the recent history and uh, I'd, I'd say that most people, when they think about 35, they think about uh, the servant. The Slim Reaper. Who... <laughs> Mr. Championship Cupcake. Right, 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 right. Mr. Cupcake himself, KD. So shout out to KD on this episode, number 35, as probably one of the best 35s to wear their jersey. He'll probably go down as one of the top three to five players in NBA history. Once it all, once it's all said and done, and we're gonna start this episode with what we love, man. I know it's been a long summer. Okay, we're talking big. We had big three basketball happening. Where's AI? <laughs> I don't know, man. In the casino gambling, he's only played like one game in this whole tournament. But we're not gonna talk about the big three. Okay, I'm in VA. I might have to look for him though. What we are gonna talk about is your boys. Kyrie and LeBron in some shocking news. I mean, this came out several weeks ago that Kyrie was like, uh, I am tired of being Robin to his Batman. It's time for me to get up out of here in Cleveland. Two years left on this contract, and he's like, I want to be traded. So at this point, Cleveland, their hands are tied. They're trying to figure out some trade partners for it, but they got to get rid of him. He has to go, right? So, so what, what is your take on this Kyrie LeBron quote unquote beef? Because I have a personal opinion on that and that's why I put it in quotation marks. Okay. So here's a couple of theories for you. First, we'll go with the Kobe theory. Um, Hey, I'm glad I'm, I'm okay being Batman as long as we went in chat or I'm glad to be Robin as long as we went in championships. But as soon as we lose to the Pistons, we got to split up. Like ain't no chance I'm being Robin and we not winning chips. So, I mean, there's that theory, right? Then the other theory could be <laughs> LeBron made him do this so he wasn't the bad guy when he left next summer and that they was co-conspirators. And this is just one of those Uncle Drew-type commercial times where he's just doing some acting. But That's honestly, a lot of acting, bro. Um, honestly, I, I do. I think it's more the, the, the former, right? Like, hey, it was one thing when we were winning championships, but even – when he won the championship, he hit the big shot. He had the big series, and all the praise still went to LeBron. And I, I know that had to rub him the wrong way. And then you're not even winning championships, and you're having to endure that. 
I think he just said, hey, I can lose and be the man on my own team. Yeah, I mean, I, I think my thing is, though, like Kyrie is not necessarily like a B player, not really a Robin player. Like like you said, he stepped up in the finals and, and was pretty much the guy, even though, yes, LeBron uh, almost averaged a triple-double or he did average. That's just LeBron. But here's what I saw LeBron do at the end of those games. It's like he deferred to Kyrie. My thing is LeBron is not that guy to where he's like, man, if I don't get 30 shots a game, we're going to have problems up in here. He is more of a person who will potentially defer to somebody else for the last shot, and Kyrie is that dude. So that was shocking for me, especially the fact that he was like, hey, I might want to go to San Antonio. We know that's not going to work out. We don't have the money to do it, but it definitely was an interesting dream for me for a couple of days. But I just feel like these dudes are they're friends. Like even with the videos that have come out and then even Curry doing his his uh LeBron impersonation, the Instagram impersonation, it's like these guys aren't really like gonna become arch enemies. Like they still gonna do stuff together. The NBA today is not a Charles Oakley NBA. Like these guys go on vacations together and ride banana boats together. So I'm pretty sure once he lands with the team and things start to smooth out, LeBron lands wherever he lands, everything's going to be fine. So I think this is kind of we're making a lot of people are making a whole lot of, out of this beef, but I don't think there's going to be any. Yeah, but take the beef out of it. What does it do to the East if LeBron doesn't have a running mate? It changes everything. And I, I think here's my opinion. I think Cleveland is going to be a lottery team. Now, this year, no, because LeBron's there, but we know he may leave. So how fast can the team go from the NBA Finals to being a lottery team? Is this the fastest that the team is ever going to be there? And I think it starts with Dan Gilbert. You fire, because... your, you fire your GM, and everything just starts to go to unravel from there. How about you fire a GM from an NBA Finals team? What's but up with that, Silas? You're asking, is this the quickest? a team has ever went from the finals to that. Like, LeBron didn't leave them before in the semifinals, and then they went to the the lottery the uttermost. They were horrible the first time he left. I That's mean, right. So this is a constant right. thread. LeBron leaves, and Cleveland goes back into depression. And really, how mad can you be if you're LeBron and Kyrie says, I went out of Cleveland when you're from Cleveland and you went out of Cleveland? So I guess I you don't can. Know. I mean, he's probably that's gonna probably be his ex strategy. It's like I, I think the LeBron's genuinely hurt is hey, like somebody just LeBroned me. Like I've always <laughs> been the person who's been able to like come and go. Everybody else wanted to play with me. It was it was all my decision. This is really the first time somebody saying, Yeah, like like trying to take some leverage back and saying, No, this isn't what I want. So that that's been interesting, but yeah, I don't LeBron get without that finisher is I mean, that's not a great look for them because he's not that finisher. Wait, wait, wait. You said LeBron's not a finisher. What do you mean by finisher? He's not that finisher. He like LeBron's not hitting that game seven shot against Golden State. See what I'm I, saying? I think the Detroit Pistons may actually disagree. Oh, John, we're not we're not talking <laughs> about that, though. Right. Like he's not like he doesn't hit big shot after big shot. Like we're not he's not who you want the ball with with. Four seconds left in Game Seven of the NBA Finals. They gave the ball to Kyrie for a reason. No, I get it. I get it. But he is LeBron James. Like you can't really 
take that away from him. Like he can get, he can probably get to the bucket and get a foul, but he's not going to hit that fadeaway three pointer or the Kobe esque shot that's going yeah. to send the game in overtime and win the game. We know yeah. that. And really, like he's like me in the sense that he can't not make the right basketball play, even if it's a time where you have to say, hey, forget the right basketball play. Like this one has to be on me. Like, yeah. And that just says his basketball IQ is that high. It's like, wow, wait a second. People want me to take this shot, but he's wide open. If you wide open right. and, and you on the on the floor with me and I draw three defenders, you better make Knock that it shot. down, chump. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's what I like about LeBron, though. I like the fact that he's not that guy who's going to shoot over four people, a la Kobe Bryant. I mean, Kobe might hit four out of 12 of those shots, which is pretty decent. But LeBron is going to look for that open shot. Hello, Ray Allen. RIP Spurs championship. Yeah, so that's what I'm just saying is, like, there's a time, though, that you have to be able to switch that off, and that's what Kyrie can do. Like, there was no chance Kyrie was passing that ball to LeBron, no matter how open LeBron was. And there's no chance that LeBron's not passing if it was the role was reversed. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, that's So just he kind of, needs that. Like, they're kind of how. symbiotic. I see what you're saying, too. But, dang, I mean, I think, <laughs> I think your boy just wants out. He's just like, I'm done. I'm done. Speaking of done. Yo. <laughs> I think your boy Sean Lynn might be done with, with the 116 crew. What's going on, man? Tell me what's happening. What's going on? What do you mean what's going on? Give us a recap. What you got? We so, were both in Legacy together, yeah. chilling. Yeah. We decided not to do Soul Taco this year. And we went and got some Chick-fil-A, got to chop it up. That was always great to see you in person and then i was able to um watch you actually you talk about me in the bahamas but i actually got a chance to watch you encouraging young people to dig deeper into their scriptures and giving them some tools to do that and walking them through some texts i'm always super encouraged to see you in your academic element and um helping people have minds and hearts for the lord so i always try to no matter where i'm at in my class try to dip down and catch part of yours great excellent job Appreciate Excellent it. job. So while we're at Legacy, something happened that we weren't expecting. The beef popped off, <laughs> if you can call it that, I guess. Yeah, yeah. We had a, a beef, man. I think I think it was prompted by a series of tweets from Shia Lin, who basically went in on the state of Christian hip-hop. And, you know, his new release is is how Shylin always brings it. You know, it's, it's pretty Christ-centered um, and, and definitely has some theological uh, depth to it. But he decided to take that opportunity, which at Legacy is kind of like, hey, it's kind of like the Hip Hop Awards, like the BET Hip Hop Awards, right? <laughs> CHH is deep at Legacy. They have these concerts and all this stuff. So this week is the week he decides that he's going to, again, bring up the issue of Lecrae and others not necessarily being Christ-centered in their approach to their craft. So we came up with, you know, the argument came up again. Is he a Christian rapper or he is, is he a rapper who happens to be a Christian? Right? Yeah. Well, I, I don't think it was, I don't think that's the argument anymore. I think Lecrae, like if anything, you can be disappointed, but you can't say that he hasn't clearly defined the route that he's going. So I feel like the argument has shifted some in saying like, all right, we know we need people in this craft, 
but are you doing that in a Christ-centered way? Is it enough to be in the room with the J. Coles, the Kendrick Lamars, and then not be like overtly Jesus, even in those conversations? Or like, was it just to get into the room? And then if it was just to get in the room, like how does that glorify God and what does that accomplish? You know, I, I feel like that was the argument now. You know, a parallel I, I thought of as you were saying that, so it's with it's like with evangelism, right? I sat down with a guy the other day and uh, he was talking about how he does evangelism. And he he does like basically the way of the master approach, right? Um, and if he gets in a room with somebody, he's going to walk him through those five steps. I know people who are more relationally in their evangelism. They ask prompt, prompting questions of people um, and try to get at their spiritual condition, right? So so when I think about this, I think, as you mentioned, like, hey, what are you doing in that room with those people? Um, is Lecrae feeling like, hey, I need to be relationally gospel centered, showing them by my lifestyle that I am different as opposed to giving them kind of this four point gospel presentation. Um, and maybe he feels like that might open the door for a gospel presentation. So, you know, I understand it. It's just hard for me um, to kind of process it, especially when you when you have younger people who are still kind of on the fence in the yeah. uh, secular hip hop world. So yeah. uh, seeing someone like Lecrae there, it's like, oh, man, I can I can I can pop with uh, with J. Cole and and with Kendrick and, and with others whose obviously their lyrics aren't aren't Christ centered, uh, gospel centered. So it, it kind of. You know, it's kind of both and, right? Um, trying to figure out how to navigate that. So, Shaolin decided to post his 95 thesis about the Pretty state much. of Christian hip hop. <laughs> and I mean, yep. um, on Reach's doorknob. So, <laughs> on the, exactly on the door to Reach. But I think for Shah, like the bigger point is that his contention is, and I've heard some interviews too, that all CHH has drifted. And so, like, the Lecrae thing might be a, even a separate argument. He's saying, like, hey, even the ones of us that are not Lecrae, like, it's just a lot of me-ism and a lot of boasting in the music. And where does that come from? Like, where like, where in Scripture can you support that? Whether you are making hip-hop for the church or from the church, like, how do you boast? Like, where, like, where is the Christian's right to boast except for in the cross? Yeah. So, and, and, I, and that part, I would wholeheartedly agree with um mm. there's some things where i could say uh Tabidi had a great article you call him the uncle <laughs> and the, uh <laughs> just sitting down at the family reunion uncle and T. explaining it to the younger bucks right laying it down but, um, but i mean there's some things maybe i like I, I just remember reading lecrae's book and him talking about he went to the sacramento king's practice and nobody would even take a free cd because it was labeled christian hip-hop you know what i'm saying so him saying like, hey, I have to do something to engage these people. And Shah's counterpoint is, all right, now that you have that audience, like, are you really engaging them with the cross or is just being in the room the like, is that ever the goal? And those are difficult questions, man. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, and, and it's hard. It's hard in those situations, um, being in those environments um to kind of flip that switch and then become evangelist you know what i mean um and so i think that i think that even lecrae and others are trying to figure things out as they become insiders 
yeah. uh, as they become folks who are involved in the hip hop community at large. How do I conduct an interview on Sway that's cool, um, but I, that also kind of sets me apart from other people? And then the other part is, and I know um, if you remember, The Truth had a song called Jesus is for Everybody. And basically the lament is like, hey, do every time that I share the gospel with somebody famous, do I have to tell you? You know what I'm saying? Like, like so if I'm having good conversations with Kendrick Lamar, is it important that you know that? Or do I care about Kendrick enough that like I'll keep that conversation private as he processes? Mm, so good. I mean that's the other end of it too is saying like, hey, let's not just be so quick to assume that there's not good fruit coming from it, but let's not hide behind the fact that like, hey, this could be compromised too. So like we don't know, you know what I'm saying? But I don't have any problem. I know some people just say like, oh, you should just be at peace. Like, no, they're mature. Like they should have these conversations. You know what I'm saying? Paul yeah. and Barnabas had conversations that were hard to have. Yeah. And they were okay at the end of the day. You know, John yeah. Mark was instrumental to Paul at the end of his life. Mm. So here's where I thought it might like it started to spiral a little bit out of control when when everybody started to just release Christian hip hop disc records. And then I know. I was like, like really? <laughs> and like everybody, boy, everybody going with the disc records, yo. And then Lecrae's pastor had to hop in and be like, wait a minute, like like, let's not forget about the local church's role in determining where Lecrae is. Like, so, I mean, it's been it's been all over the place. But ultimately, um, if nothing else, it's asked us to consider and ask some really tough questions. And I don't feel like the questions that Shaolin is asking our community to ask are unfair questions to ask. Yeah. Like, no, and no. the Paul Washer thing that's on the album is poignant and very powerful. Right. And it's. Uh, something I feel like every Christian hip hop artist should consider whether they're doing art for the church or from the church. So that's where well, I leave it. I, I love Lecrae, love Sha. Yeah. Um, it's so. good stuff. All right, man. So I want to personally congratulate you because this Friday, this Friday, you and your beautiful bride will have celebrated 16 years of marriage. Am I 16, right? Sixteen, yo. Sixteen, 16 on the fourth. years of marriage. Sixteen years, see, last. All I know is one sixteen. <laughs> wow, and I'm pretty sure that that marriage has been infused with the grace of God. And oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So I think one thing that would be helpful for listeners as we talk about marriage and the gospel impact the gospel itself can have on marriage and how it can transform or sustain marriages would be to ask one of the elders of the podcast 16 <laughs> years of marriage man what in that 16 years what would you say has been the greatest gospel impact on you and your wife as y'all kind of try to do life together as husband and wife okay so just real fast um it's definitely been like ups, downs, all sustained by the grace of God. There have been like re relational conflicts between she and I, and then things just like circumstances that have been things we've had to deal with as a couple that came from outside of the marriage, things like miscarriages, stuff like that, you know? Um, but before I go into any of that, like I also just have a grieving heart um, just from a conversation I had with a friend from elementary school's sister, and she was saying like, our family grew up uh, in a certain denomination and um, some things that just weren't Christ honoring were happening in the home, in the marriage. 
and just talking about um, mom staying in because of um, the church's teaching. So we also bear in mind that um, like, hey, like as we talk about relational conflict, we're not talking about situations where abuse, especially any type of serious physical abuse or emotional abuse mm. are happening, right? Um, but given that context, right, we do, we, we believe the gospel speaks to us in the idea of like, we have a covenant God and we make covenants with him and by his grace, he sustains our covenant. One of the beautiful things about marriage and why I still think it's important for um, people to consider marriage is the idea of me saying, I do to my wife in the present and in the future. This isn't a contract. If things aren't going well, if she's sick, if um, something happens, like my promise isn't tied into her fulfilling some type of contract. And so I think just one of the ways, Jay Rich, we would say, and I definitely want to hear your thoughts too, because I feel like you're you're so wise in these things, but um, the gospel like presents God as this covenant God who um, makes covenant with us, even when we couldn't keep the covenant. We have that picture of God being the only one to walk through the covenant he made with Abraham because he was the only one who could be faithful. And um, God calls us to covenant relationship with our spouses. And so when I say I do, I'm saying I do to my wife 20 years from now, to the future Emily Lasseter, not knowing uh, what that future would hold, whether she would be in good health or any of those things, whether like every day would feel like paradise, where we would all get along relationally every day, but just saying, like, I make this promise to you in the future, not just now in the present, in some type of contract like you might do with your cable company. And if they don't deliver exactly what you like, you just break the contract. No, marriages are much deeper than that. And my wife makes that same covenant promise to me that, hey, I take Chris Lasseter 20 years down the road, not knowing exactly who that Chris Lasseter will be, but trust trust that God's grace will be working in both of us and we'll be drawing closer in that time. And there's been ups and downs, but we can say God is faithful. So, Good wisdom. For me, um, you know, as reflecting on marriage, we've been married half the time. You guys have been married for eight years, uh, but it's been uh, a great work. Uh, God's been doing a great work in both of us, even in those eight years. So I would say that one of the, the greatest things that has occurred within my marriage and um, in me personally, as in, in terms of internal change, has been how sanctifying a work marriage is. <laughs> Amen. I mean, that's so, so for real. Like, so, you know, you know, we've been justified by faith. And, and so sanctification is kind of this continued progress. So as you're talking about 20 years from now, that's 20 years of God sanctifying you through this relationship, this covenant relationship um, that you have with this person. And marriage is probably one of the greatest means by which he sanctifies those who are married um, and those who do have spouses because you're with that person um, every single day. And um, both of you guys are still sinners, saved by grace alone. Just seeing what God has done through our marriage and sanctifying me, making me become more selfless in some of the things that I do. Not that I get it perfect all the time because I still think of myself a whole lot uh, more than I should. But there are times when I just say, okay, I have to do this as Christ loved the church. That's such a tall order, but um, it's the picture that he gave us of the church um, that reflects my marriage and my household 
And it's just so humbling to even think about that and think through that as I'm going through whatever tensions there are with my wife. I'm like, God is using this work as something to sanctify me and move me to closer to closer like to Christ likeness. In the moment, it's painful because I want to I want self wants to rise up. Um, but then eventually there's joy because I see um, that, that he's forming in me um what he wants me to be jay rich one day we're gonna do a marriage podcast and we go get the wives on too so um we'll see how that goes that would be what my call my son calls a field with epicness <laughs> <laughs> yeah that hey, would be just great. one last thought on marriage um two is just when we were in the bahamas some of the leaders we always want to go with indigenous leaders whenever we're on the mission field so we're just trying to get a feel Hey, what's appropriate, what's helpful here, what's hurtful here. But as we're listening to them explain what we're about to step into, um, they explain relationships in the Bahamas that make you feel like, hey, are we talking about the Bahamas? Are we talking about the inner city in America? And Hmm. one of the points they made was just, hey, we're just glad that they get to see a husband and a wife together when you guys come. And that cut and that hurt and... um, just the number of families that are raised by mom in the Bahamas is staggering. Um, so there was just a lot of pain there that you kind of felt. And um, we do think that the gospel like does speak to marriage in a great way. And sets just a great gospel light um, when we can let Christ have his way in those relationships. So, Amen. Amen. One of the greatest gospel witnesses, grateful for men and women of faith like you and your wife who have been together for 16 years and kind of show that picture. So thanks, man. Oh, absolutely, man. It's been a, it's been a real work of Christ and we see his grace and every aspect of it sustaining us on times are great. And when times are tough, this segment is all about what we're having on our bookshelves, what we're reading, what we're listening to, you know, what we would commend to some of our listeners, what's on our book stands that people would say, I really would like to read that book. It sounds really intriguing. Um, I have a couple, and I'll go ahead and go and let you know. Um, and they have to do with with parenting. They have to do with family stuff. I think that you uh, prompted me to read a couple of parenting books this summer as the kids are around a whole lot more and uh, kind of work on trying to figure out what sanctification looks like as a parent because uh, that's a sanctifying work for sure. Um, yeah. So I've read, I've been, I've been reading a couple books. One, Parenting by, uh, by Paul Tripp. Uh, he has fourteen gospel principles. It's really gospel centered book. I'm really enjoying reading it. I think I'm about halfway through. I've gone through seven of the principles. It's been really challenging, um, and been pretty enlightening as well. The other is Household Gods by Ted Cluck and his wife. Um, I like Ted's writing. He's a, he's a sports guy, and he's written a couple of books that I've, I've enjoyed reading. Um, by him, but uh, he kind of walks through how um, the family itself, uh, children, wife, sports, hobbies, everything else can become idols in our lives. I like the trip book better in terms of his uh, his gospel-centeredness, but uh, Cluck's a storyteller. He has some really great anecdotes in that book, so I would commend both to anyone who's interested in reading on parenting. What about you, Silas? All right. So um, I don't reread a ton of books, but the reality is I knew that I had a lot of preparation for like gospel stuff that I needed to take with me 
um, for the Bahamas, but I said, I need to take something that I can read on the flight back. I don't have any more responsibilities as far as teaching over there goes. So I just grabbed this uh, book, uh, Spurgeon on Leadership by Steve Miller. The book is probably like six by eight in terms of like size. So it's a small book, easy to hold in your hand. It's probably 180 pages, probably read, probably looking at like an hour. Man, I could not commend this book to Christ followers enough. I forgot how great the book was and just um, capturing some of the important classic Spurgeon stuff that points us right to Christ, but just about his prayer life, just about his evangelism, just about his preaching methods. Uh, it was, I mean, it is so saturated with the gospel. Um, it is such an encouragement. It's such an easy read, but it's like the type of book you just want to buy one for everyone you know and say, hey, read this. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know of any book outside of scripture that's going to point you to Jesus like this book will. And it was amazing. It was timely for me. It was like sometimes when you come home from a mission trip, it's kind of like, oh, you kind of hit a lull. But it was kind of just like the spark I needed. Uh, it's an amazing book. It's 99 cents on Amazon. So you don't have a huge book budget. You can't be stopped by that on this one. So I can't recommend that book. Um, Spurgeon on Leadership by Steve Miller, high enough. All right. Closing shout outs. Who are you shouting out this episode, man? Yeah, it's got to be my wife, right? And I, I want to shout out my daughter, too. She took a huge risk. She's a huge introvert, but she made the trip to Chicago with me, trusting that it would be great. And she had a phenomenal time. So, um, and my Roanoke crew, Macklin and his nephew and niece that rode with us. So we had a whole VA crew up in Legacy, but definitely shout out goes to my wife for 16 years of marriage, man. Good stuff. Man, shout out to the podcast listeners who were in the workshop at Legacy. Dude, I didn't even know that people were listening to the podcast. They were like, um, we're in this workshop because of your podcast. I say, what? <laughs> Word? Oh, shout out. <laughs> so that was cool, man. I didn't get their names, but I really appreciate you guys for uh, for listening in. You know, me and C-Last took a little bit of a break. But we're grateful for um, you listening and tuning in. So shout out to y'all and for y'all attending the workshop. That's love right there. That's love. Oh, that's what's up, man. That is what's up. That's encouragement, man. Every once in a while, I guess we just need a little gospel encouragement. So that's good. Amen. Amen. Well, this episode has been encouraging to me, man. Thank you for for sharing on your marriage and, and sharing your wisdom. You come back from Bahamas all tanned and and got the tan lines bro you got, I got, you got a tan? <laughs> well i'm glad you came back with wisdom man not that you didn't have it before but you came back on fire i appreciate that this has been episode number what 35 of the KD. One podcast the kd episode the cupcake uh has made it to the boxing one podcast we're grateful for you guys listening in with us make sure you go follow us at twitter at boxing one podcast join the facebook group uh, at Boxing One Podcast, go and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You'll find us at Boxing One Podcast and leave us a rating or a review if you are so inclined. We really appreciate those reviews because they let us know that we're doing the gospel work that God has called us to do. So thanks a lot, C. Last. We're gonna see him next go around. My right? man, Jay Rich. Peace out. <laughs>